Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and this is the Backtracker History Show podcast, where I ask you to join me on a meander down through the archives to find out more about the people, places and events from the past. Most of these podcasts have been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And one of the great things about this podcast is that I can go into more detail about each story because there are no time constraints. And it's really easy to show your support just by spreading the word, leaving reviews and sharing with all your family and friends. It really does help. If you want to get in touch with me with show ideas, comments or information, you can via Twitter or Facebook by using at UK the capital B, capital T and a capital UK or emailing me at info at backtracker.co.uk Now, on with the show. Today's show is about Gloucester Prison, which was a place of execution for centuries, dating back to when it was a castle, and public executions took place at the gatehouse. So, although much has changed over the centuries, death was a grim constant. Since the prison shut down, a local historian has discovered that there could be over 122 bodies buried within the prison grounds. It is no wonder it has a reputation as a haunted prison. Her Majesty's Prison Gloucester was a Category B men's prison located in Gloucestershire. It was originally opened in 1792 on the site of Gloucester Castle, whose keep had been used as a prison. The prison was operated by Her Majesty's Prisons and closed in 2013. Originally built as the county jail in the 1700s at a cost of £34,000 with a capacity of 350 prisoners, each in separate cells, there were also separate cells for debtors of both sexes. Between 1792 and 1864, at least 102 executions took place using the considered more humane New Drop-style gallows with many of the executed being buried in unmarked graves where they still remain today. The first hangings at the prison took place on Saturday the 14th of April 1792 when Londoner Charles Ratchford and Irish-born John Hughes were executed for highway robbery. They had robbed John Elliot in the parish of Westbury-upon-Trim on the 24th of November, 1791, taking his watch with a silver case, valued at three pounds, a steel hook, valued at two shillings, a steel watch chain, valued at six shillings, a silver seal and 10 copper halfpennies. They were also sentenced to death for the highway robbery of Thomas Probert in the same parish on the 25th of November, 1791, robbing him of a clasp knife, a horsewhip, and three copper halfpennies. Word of the week. 
And for this week's word, it's my honour to give you... Spuddle. A useful verb from the 17th century that means to work feebly and ineffectually because your mind is elsewhere or you haven't quite woken up yet. To be extremely busy whilst achieving absolutely nothing. We've talked about the first executions at Gloucester Prison, but what about the last? Well, it took place on June the 7th, 1939, when Ralph Smith, a trained fireman from Swindon, was hanged for the murder of his ex-girlfriend, 53-year-old Beatrice Delia Baxter. At 7pm on Saturday the 4th of March, 1939, 40-year-old Ralph cut the throat of his former girlfriend in Argyle Street in Swindon, Wiltshire. He gave himself up to police the same evening, who informed him that Beatrice had died from her wound, that he would be charged with murder. The trial took place at the Old Bailey on the 3rd of May, before Mr Justice Atkinson. Smith's counsel, Bryant Irvin, put forward two lines of defence. One was that if Beatrice had received more timely medical help, she would have lived. And two, that Smith had suffered a brain injury in an accident at work some 18 months prior to the murder. A police investigation of this alleged accident at the steelworks turned up nothing. And therefore, the prosecution claimed that it was just a ruse to escape the death penalty. The jury preferred their version of events. A week earlier, the Swindon advertiser had reported... The sensational affray on Saturday night, when a woman staggered to her home with her throat cut and died shortly afterwards, had a sequel at Swindon Borough Police Court this afternoon. Rolf Smith, described as a 41-year-old labourer of no fixed address, was charged with the murder of Mrs Beatrice Della Baxter. When Deputy Chief Constable W.T. Brooks recounted his experience of the event, he said, At about seven o'clock on Saturday night, a woman heard another woman screaming in Argyle Street. Shortly afterwards, she saw Beatrice Baxter coming from the backs on the opposite side of the street go across to her home. She went to her assistance and found that she was badly cut on the neck. She helped the woman to her home and a doctor and the police were sent for. Mrs Baxter was removed to hospital but died shortly after admission. Blood could be traced in the direction from which the woman had come for nearly 100 yards. Meanwhile, the accused walked into Gorse Hill Police Station and made a statement to a constable, and as a result of which he was later charged with his crime. And now it's time to go for a bit of a stroll. The Big Bristol to London the Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. The Big Bristol to London Stroll. Hello and welcome to the Big Bristol to London Stroll, where we take you along the scenic routes via canals on a gentle walk to our capital. Along the way, we'll discuss the places we see and anything we spot that takes our fancy. Sometimes, we're even joined along the way by family and friends. So come join us as we take the Big Stroll. A 
and today's stroll sees us exploring Reading in a bit more depth. I went round the graveyard, in particular I found Reading Cemetery quite interesting, and with Armistice Day looming, I thought I'd tell you about this amazingly brave soldier I discovered. His name was Frederick William Owen Potts, and he served as a private first class in the 1st Berkshire Yeomanry, British Army. During the attack on Hill 70, Gallipoli, Turkey, on August 21st, 1915, Private Potts, although wounded, remained for over 48 hours under the Turkish trenches with another private who was severely wounded. He then fixed a shovel to the equipment of his wounded comrade and using this as a sledge, dragged the man under enemy fire back over 600 yards to safety. For most prestigious gallantry, he was promoted Lance Corporal and awarded the Victoria Cross Medal. Another place in Reading that I'd highly recommend is the Reading Abbey Ruins, situated near the River Kennet. You really don't get a sense of just how big the walls of this ruin are until you stand right in front of them. In its heyday, the Abbey was one of the Europe's largest royal monasteries. The traditions of the Abbey are continued today by the neighbouring St James Church, which is partly built using stones of the Abbey ruins. This is certainly a tourist area, as well as a place for those who like a scenic walk. There are boards up every few yards or so on the information about the ruins and the history of the whole area. It's definitely a must-see when in Reading. It's beautiful, informative and free. We will soon be coming to the end of this great adventure, but remember, we're doing it in aid of Suicide Prevention Bristol. It's a charity where the volunteers go out at night to Bristol's hotspots for suicides, find people who are vulnerable and talk them out of this final decision. We're doing it in memory of a friend and listener called Sarah who sadly passed away in March this year. We've set up a Just Giving page, so if you go to justgiving.com and type in Backtracker, you should find it. Remember, if you feel low, there's always someone you can talk to and you are more important than you probably know. Thanks in advance for your support. Amongst the other executions at Gloucester Prison, there was William Townley, who on the 23rd of March 1811 had been convicted of burglary and was hanged a few minutes before reprieve arrived for him. The sentencing judge had moved on to his next appointment at Harford Assizes, but had been told some favourable things about Townley and decided to reprieve him. However, the letter was sent to Mr Wilton, under-sheriff of Herefordshire, rather than the under-sheriff of Gloucestershire. And when he received the letter and realised the gravity of the situation, he sent a rider to Gloucester, some 34 miles away. By the time this man arrived, Townley had been hanging for 20 minutes and it was too late to save him. <music> 21-year-old Harriet Tarver of Chipping Camden was hanged on the 9th of April, 1836, for the murder of her husband, Thomas, by poison. She was the youngest woman to be executed at Gloucester in the 19th century. It was claimed in a broadside sold at her execution 
that she was repentant and hoped that her orphaned child would take warning and shun vice and bad company. These claims of repentance were very popular in broadsides and may well have been pure invention. Herbert Rouse Armstrong of Hay on Wye is thought to have been the only solicitor hanged for murder. Mr Armstrong murdered his wife and attempted to kill a professional rival with arsenic and was hanged at Gloucester in 1922. In 1925, a police officer named Herbert Burroughs, working for Worcester Police, was found guilty of murdering a pub landlord, his wife and their baby. Burroughs was caught when he described the murder in detail to a colleague before it had been reported. The final native of Gloucestershire to be hanged in his home county was Gilbert Oswald Smith, who was sentenced to death after he murdered his wife, Rosabella, at Roxstow in Dursley in 1912. The ex-soldier had cut the throat of his wife near their home and then tried killing himself with the same razor blade, but failed. He was hanged at Gloucester Prison on November the 26th, 1912. A number of people from outside Gloucestershire were brought to the region to be executed, including Charles Horton, a butler who murdered wealthy sisters Eleanor and Martha Woodhouse after they fired him for drunkenness in 1926. Some were hanged for lesser crimes. For example, James Parsons was executed for theft of a sheep back in 1800. Joseph Stevens was sentenced to death that same year for stealing clothes. And Robert Peacock was put to death for forgery in 1814. The famous English serial killer, Frederick Walter Stephen West, most commonly known as Fred West, was also one of the prisoners held in Her Majesty's Prison, Gloucester, as was the founder of political party Sinn Féin, Arthur Griffith. I'd just like to point out that Fred West killed himself while detained on remand at HMS Prison, Birmingham, on the 1st of January, 1995. This podcast has covered a few of the cases where the perpetrator was hanged in Gloucester Prison. At 69 years old, Dinah Ridderford is probably the oldest woman to have been hanged in England in the 19th or 20th centuries. She was executed for stealing bacon, butter and other articles alongside 22-year-old John Williams on the 7th of September 1816. Theirs were the only executions carried out as a result of the August Assizes at which 17 death sentences were passed. All the others had their sentences commuted generally to transportation overseas. Dinah's son and co-defendant, Luke, was one of the fortunate ones. Another case we covered was that of 35-year-old Edwin Smart, who was hanged for the murder of Lucy Derrick on the 2nd of April, 1879. Smart was discovered sitting next to her body beside the road and was arrested after telling the person who found him that he had cut her throat. Smart was tried at Worcester, and the only motive he could suggest for the murder was that he wanted to kill a woman, any woman. He denied that he even knew who the victim was. The hanging took place on Monday the 12th of May, on gallows pioneered by William Marwood and his long drop method of execution. However, Smart did not seem to die as easily as most of Marwood's other victims. It took him four minutes before his body became still. 
Examinations afterwards revealed signs of suffocation. And lastly, we have Albert Manning, who was hanged on Thursday the 16th of March, 1893. 37-year-old Manning had shot a Mrs. Flew, a lady he had originally lodged with and later formed a relationship with. The motive for the killing was thought to be jealousy over the disintegration of the relationship and her interest in another man. The executioner at the time was William Billington, assisted by Thomas Scott. Now remember that name, Albert Manning, because he's going to come up in the next show. At about 7.40 on the 25th of October 1906, an elderly warden at the prison called Hall was going about his rounds, taking in the work the prisoners had been doing. The first cell he visited was that of Michael Harnett, who handed over his work and was locked in. When Harnett heard the warden open the next cell, he rang his bell urgently. Hall rushed to see what was wrong, but hadn't relocked the second cell door. Harnett complained that his gas had gone out, and when the warden opened the door to investigate, he was struck in the face and the convict ran out. Hall and another warden managed to catch him and they struggled for about 10 minutes but were attacked by yet another convict, the one whose cell door hadn't been locked. The two wardens were overpowered and ended up gagged and thrown into a cell. Three or four other prison officials, including the governor, Mr Stafford Finn, were also overpowered and locked in cells. Mr Finn also had his watch and chain stolen during the ordeal. Now in possession of keys, which they'd taken from Paul, the prisoners started to liberate other inmates, 11 of whom got loose and proceeded to the jail gates. Once there, they viciously beat the lodgekeeper. The alarm had been sounded throughout the premises by this time, but five inmates still managed to get out and disappear. The other six were recaptured. The five that managed to get away headed straight for the River Severn that was nearby. They found a small rowing boat with Henry Bubb in it. He was employed by local merchants. Three of the convicts leapt into the boat, causing it to move out into the river with the force. The other two jumped into the river and managed to get into the boat. Bubb was then forced to row them to the other side of the Severn and the men ran off through the meadows. Henry Bubb immediately rode back to the prison and gave all the information he could to the police, who, at the time, still didn't know anything about the prison break. James Flynn, 22 from London, was the first to be recaptured. Turns out, he had fallen out with the others and had been left in the village of Over, where he handed himself in. The others were Frederick Lane, 30 from London, described as having light brown hair, grey eyes, about 5 foot 9, he had a scar on his right eyebrow. He was a shoemaker and he was in for three years. Next was Edwin Thomas Baker, 25, with dark hair, brown eyes, 5 foot 7. He was a bricklayer, had a broken nose with scars on his forehead and a tattoo saying H Strong on his right shoulder and J Wright on his left hand. He was in for five years. Then there was Michael Harnett, 29, from London, with dark hair and brown eyes. He was five foot eight, a scaffolder, 
with scars all over his face and body, and a tattoo on his right arm saying E. Kane, and true love on his left arm. He was in for seven years. Lastly, there was William Irwin, 37 from London. He had brown hair and blue eyes. He was about five foot seven, and he was in for four years. It was Michael Harnett, also known as London Mick, who was the leader of the whole escape. They were recaptured when they were found on Warren's farm in Lydney by Peter Meadows, who found two of them when he went into the stables. The two shoeless men said, We've been on tramp and had no food since Thursday. Give us some vittles. We be four of us, all Londoners, and want to get to Chepstow. Will you help us? Will you? Two of our pals are done in, lying in the orchard behind the ass. Help us please, will you? Peter Meadows knew of the prison break, so, playing it cool, he fed the men bread and cheese before they headed off across the fields. He then told the Blakeney police, who gathered reinforcements. The convicts were found in a hayloft by P.C. Wiltshire and P.C. Hazel. They noticed fresh clay on the rungs of the ladder and went up and were surprised when a man jumped up. Hazel shouted, Surrender, or I'll blow your brains out. On their return to the prison, the men who were found to have been the most violent were given 12 strokes each with a birch rod as their punishment. In more personal news, I was in a job interview yesterday and the interviewer asked if I can perform under pressure. I said no, but I do a mean Bohemian Rhapsody. Back in the day facts. Let's start off with the 23rd of October 1911, when the first aerial reconnaissance mission is flown by an Italian pilot over Turkish lines during the Italo-Turkish War. On the 24th of October 1881, Levi P. Morton, the US ambassador to France, drives the first rivet into the Statue of Liberty. Also on the 24th of October, but in 1931, 90 years ago, gangster Al Capone is sentenced to 11 years for tax evasion. The 25th of October, 1854, saw the infamous Charge of the Light Brigade, a failed military action involving the British Light Cavalry, led by Lord Cardigan, against Russian forces during the Battle of Balaclava. Lord Ragland had intended to send the Light Brigade to prevent the Russians from removing captured guns from overrun Turkish positions, a task for which the Light Cavalry were well suited. However, there was miscommunication in the chain of command, and the Light Brigade was instead sent on a frontal assault against a different artillery battery, one well prepared with excellent fields of defensive fire. The Light Brigade reached the battery under withering direct fire, and scattered some of the gunners, but they were forced to retreat immediately, and the assault ended with very high British casualties and no decisive gains. On the afternoon of October the 26th, 1881, 
gunfire erupted in the frontier town of Tombstone. The fighting was over in less than a minute, and when the gunsmoke cleared, three men lay dead. Billy Clanton and Tom and Frank McClory. This short skirmish might have been a footnote in American history, but it grew and became a legend, perhaps the most famous in the Old West. I'm talking about the gunfight at the OK Corral. And just in case you were wondering, OK stands for Old Kindersley. Lastly, on the 27th of October, 1960, singer Ben E. King records Spanish Harlem and Stand By Me. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, but right now, I'd like to take a moment to thank those who make the show what it is and bring the stories to life. And today's stars are John Locke and Steve Shepherd from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as Molly Jeffries and Carrie Ball from St Stephen's Drama Group here in Bristol. Thank you for listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast with me, Alice. This has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol, England. And if you liked it, please leave a rating and maybe a comment. And if you'd like to support the show with a donation, however small, you can go to ko-fi.com, spelt K-O hyphen F-I. And if you're interested in buying merchandise featuring the show's logo, then pop over to tpublic.com, where you'll find lots of things to choose from. And if you want to get in touch with me, it's perfectly easy. You'll be able to find me on Twitter or Facebook by looking for at Backtracker UK, with a capital B, a capital T, and a capital UK. Or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk. So until next time, guys, take care and look after each other.